As G.K. Chesterton said, a dead thing can go with the stream, but only a living thing can go against it. Here on Swimming Upstream, we go against the cultural stream by championing life, liberty, and the pursuit of holiness. Your host is Eric Sammons, author of seven books, including Holiness for Everyone, The Old Evangelization, and Bitcoin Basics. Now let's get swimming. Hello, and welcome to Swimming Upstream. What I want to talk about today is the issue of bad popes. And why is it that I want to bring that up right now? Well, there's a lot of talk about the fact that Pope Francis, our current pontiff, is not a very good pope. Many have called him a bad pope. Many have said he's one of the worst popes ever. Others have said, no, he's a great pope. He's doing a great job. But one thing I want to address more than anything is the idea of the fact that there is, there have been bad popes in the past. I hear a lot of times that Catholics kind of believe that you can't criticize Pope Francis, you can't say anything really against him, because it somehow would question why God put him in that position. It would question Christ's protection of the church, protection of the papacy. In other words, it's almost the idea that you can't have bad popes, but it's a historical fact that you can have bad popes, and we have had bad popes in the past. So the thought that Pope Francis could be a quote-unquote bad pope isn't unheard of because we've had bad popes in the past. So let's talk about what is it that makes for a bad pope. I think the way we start is we say, what makes for a good pope? What are the qualities or the traits or the actions that are needed for somebody to be considered a good pope? I think there's three. The first one is that the pope has to have a certain personal holiness. He has to be a practicing Catholic who practices faith in his personal life as well as in his public life. I know this sounds pretty basic, but if you look at the history of popes, there's been a number of popes who haven't done this. I th so I think it is important that a pope be personally holy. It doesn't necessarily have to be a saint to be a good pope. Let's make sure it's clear about that. We separate a, being a saint, which is a personal attribute, from being a good pope. A good, it's the same way somebody could be a saint and not be a good CEO of a company. A person could be a saint and not be a very good garbage man. Being a saint doesn't necessarily mean that you're good at the job you do. So, but it is imperative to be a good pope, I think, that you have to be personally holy because you have to lead by example first and foremost. If people see that you're not living the Christian life, then they're not going to be inspired to do that. And that's one of your jobs as a pope is to lead others to holiness. And so if you're not personally striving for holiness yourself, there's a decent chance those who are following you won't be either. The second quality I think that's important for somebody to be a good pope is they're a good manager. They're a good executive, so to speak. They manage the affairs of the church well. So, for example, if a pope ran the Vatican into bankruptcy, it's hard to say he's a good pope overall. He might have good qualities as a person. There might be some good things about his pontificate. But that, the idea of running the Vatican bankrupt kind of says he's not a very good manager of the, the church. And the truth is, the pope is the top dog in the church, so to speak. He is where the buck stops. And so, if he's not doing a good job of managing the church in a certain sense, then he's not a very good pope. Now, Let's not be uh, mistaken here. The Pope isn't simply a manager. He is the vicar of Christ. And so that's not the most important quality as a good manager. But I do think if you want to be a good manager, I mean, I'm sorry, a good Pope, then you will manage the affairs of the church 
well. Okay, what's the third quality, the third quality of a good pope? He has to defend the faith. I think this is the most important aspect of the papacy, of the office of the papacy, is defending the faith. He has to be able to defend it from attack, but also proclaim it, I guess you would say as well. He obviously has to proclaim the faith well. He has to protect the deposit of faith that has been handed on to him from previous generations. The tradition of the church. This is basically the job description, the number one job description of a pope is to defend the faith. And so, first of all, he should be personally orthodox in his beliefs and in what he says and does, but also he shouldn't allow heresy to flourish. You get a situation where a bishop is personally, I'm sorry, a pope is personally orthodox, but he allows heresy to flourish under him. We actually see an example of this time and time again with bishops. In America, we have a lot of bishops who are personally orthodox, I believe. They, have, they, they believe the creed, they believe the teachings of the church. They even try to follow them. But they allow heresy to thrive under their watch. So if you do that, you're not really being a very good bishop. And if the Bishop of Rome does that, he's not being a very good pope. So again, the three qualities I would say of a good pope would be they're personally holy, they're a good manager, and they defend the faith. So if that's what makes a good pope, I think it should be obvious what makes a bad pope is somebody who doesn't do those three things. And I would say you have to do all three to be considered a really good pope. You might be able to do one well, but not the other two. I'd say that makes you a at least below average pope. Obviously, the word bad is subjective here. What I would say is bad might differ from what somebody else would say. And you have different degrees of bad. You have somebody who's really just not that great and somebody who's awful. And so the idea of a bad pope is basically somebody who doesn't do their job well. And I would say by doing any one of those three things that I already mentioned, being personally holy, being a good manager, and defending the faith, they don't do any one of those three things. They're really not being a good pope. Now, history has shown many examples, unfortunately, of bad popes. And I want to talk about a few of them right now, some examples, because I do think this is important. I think Catholics tend to just kind of subconsciously think that the pope is protected from being a bad pope. And that's just not true. If you know history, you know that's not true. But I think recent years in which we've held up people like John Paul II and Pope Benedict as good popes, then we tend to think, well, the Pope can't really be a bad Pope. God will protect him from that. But that's not true. And I think we see that when we look at examples in history of bad Popes. So I have a few, and I'm just going to mention a few. I actually wrote down some examples here because I didn't want to forget them. There's many more than this, but I want to give three examples of Popes who are bad in each of those three qualities that I mentioned. So first, let's talk about some of the immoral Popes. The first is Pope Marcellinus. He was a Pope in the late 3rd century, early 4th century. He was Pope during the reign of Emperor Diocletian, and during the time Diocletian instituted one of the worst persecutions of the church in history. And Pope, Pope Marcellinus, what he did is basically he caved to the, to the pressure, to the persecution. He offered incense to the emperor in order to save his own skin. That's immoral. We might be understanding of him doing that. We might think, well, in the same situation, maybe I would do that or, you know, a lot of pressure against him. But the fact is that's immoral because he denied his faith. The worst thing you can do as a Catholic Obviously, the worst thing you do as a pope. He did that. He later repented of it, and he died in good graces of the church, and he died as the pope. But the fact is, is that he caved. He, he gave in 
to the emperor and to the persecution. And he denied the faith publicly. So it's a terrible thing for a pope to do. That's example number one of an immoral pope. The second one I want to mention is actually uh, Pope the Benedict IX. Pope Benedict IX probably is the worst pope in history. Actually, I would claim he's the worst three popes in history. Because Pope Benedict IX was pope three separate times, on three separate occasions. He, he became pope as a teenager, probably through the bribery of his father. And then what happened was, is after a little while, he was such a terrible pope, after about 12 years, that he was ousted out of Rome by the people of Rome who were tired of him. Another pope, another man became, was declared pope. He then came back though, and he, he ousted that guy, and, he, and he, Sylvester, and he became pope again. But then he got tired of it and he sold the papacy to another man. But then he changed his mind, he became Pope again, so for a third time, but then again he left. And so Pope Benedict VI, I'm sorry, excuse me, Pope Benedict IX was a terrible Pope, a terrible man, and one of the most immoral and worst Popes we've ever had in history. A third example of an immoral Pope is Alexander VI. He's probably the one used most often. He was Pope at the turn of the 16th century, and he was morally corrupt beyond all imagination. This is right at the time Martin Luther was living and a lot of the people who would become the Protestant reformers were living. And so this was an influence on the Protestant Reformation. The terrible corruption in Rome led many people to think, what's the purpose of the Pope? What's the purpose of the Vatican? What's the purpose of Rome? And they left the church because of this. Just to give you one example of how Pope Alexander VI was, a, was an immoral man, it was rumored that he was involved in an illicit sexual relationship with his daughter, with his illegitimate daughter. So the fact is he had a daughter, an illegitimate daughter, that's strike one, but he also had an affair with her, supposedly, an incestuous affair with her. So Alexander VI is one of the most immoral popes to come down to us in history, yet he was a legitimate pope. If you were living in his time as a Catholic and you acted like, well, no, he couldn't be doing those things because the God, God protects the popes, you'd be wrong. He was a terrible pope, a ter an immoral man. So there's just three examples of immoral popes. Let's talk about for a minute now some examples of poor managers of the church while they were pope. These men might have been good people, probably weren't in some cases, but were in other cases, but they were terrible managers. The first is actually an era of the papacy, considered the dark ages of the papacy, called the Seculum Obscurum. This was a time in the 10th century when the Pope, the office of the papacy was basically under the control of a local aristocratic family. And they bought and sold the papacy, they, they, they uh, murdered popes that they didn't like, they poisoned them, they killed them, they slit their throat, and it was really the low point of the entire papacy. But a number of popes during that time were just, I mean, obviously they were terrible popes because they considered only the political affairs, the local political affairs, rather than sp the spiritual affairs of the church. One example is John XII. John XII likely raped women pilgrims coming to Rome. Do I need to say anything more? But he was a terrible manager, so he was an immoral man, but he's also a terrible manager of the church because he didn't care about managing the church. And none of the popes during this time really cared about managing the church. They were just beholden to the local aristocratic families, so they're just political puppets in, in essence. Another pope who was a terrible manager of the church is Clement VII. Clement VII was the pope in the early 16th century, right after the Protestant Reformation had started. 
He was known as a devout person, a devout man, so he didn't qualify under the immoral pope aspect. However, during his reign, England left the faith under uh, Henry VIII, but also Rome was sacked. He just did a terrible job. Now, some of it's beyond his control. Many forces were happening at that time that he really couldn't control. But the truth is, he did a terrible job of managing the church during his reign. And so he wasn't a good pope. Nobody would say that Clement VII was a good pope. You might say he was a good man, but not a good pope. Now, my last example of a poor manager church is going to be the most controversial one I mention here. And people are not going to like it. I know they're not. Because they have such a high opinion of this man, they're going to say, how can you say he's a poor, a, a not a good pope? Well, I'm going to say he's a poor manager. I'm talking about Pope St. John Paul II. And notice I said the word saint. And I do believe John Paul II was a saint. I believe that he was personally very holy, and he was a great example for, for men and women of how to live the Catholic faith. However, it can't be denied that under his papacy, his very long papacy, so many bishops were appointed that were terrible. So many of them were allowed to reign free. I mean, we just the example of Cardinal McCarrick, who was appointed before, uh, he was made a bishop before John Paul II. I think he was made a bishop near the end of the papacy of, John, of Paul VI. But the fact is, he reigned free during the entire time of John Paul II's reign. It seemed to me that John Paul II didn't really have his, his concern wasn't with managing the internal affairs of the church. His concern was more with reaching out and evangelizing, which is a great, which is a great thing to do. I'm a big proponent of evangelization. But we can't say he was this great pope when he didn't manage the affairs of the church and so many things went wrong. The abuse crisis just you know, uh, spiraled out of control under his papacy. Bishops allowed heresy to happen so often. Bishops were personally heretics themselves. They abused people all under the reign of John Paul II. You can't just give him a pass for that. So I would say he was a poor manager of the church during his papacy in so many ways. That doesn't mean everything he did was wrong, but it does mean that he did a lot of things wrong when it came to managing the affairs of the church. The third category that I wanted to mention, that I want to mention about, give examples of popes who did a poor job, were those who didn't defend the faith. This, like I said, this is probably the worst you could do as a pope because it's your main job description. The first is Pope Honorus, who was pope in the, in the early church, and he allowed a heresy called monothelitism to thrive under his reign. And in fact, most historians believe he probably was personally monothelitist. What is, what is that heresy? That's specifically the belief that Christ only had one will. But as Catholics, we believe that Christ, is, as one divine person with two uh, natures, a human and divine nature, had two wills, a human and a divine, perfectly united, but yet still two wills. And so Pope Honors allowed that heresy to thrive under him. In fact, after his death, many years later, he was actually condemned by an ecumenical council. He was anathematized by an ecumenical council because of the terrible job he did as Pope. And what did he do terribly? He didn't defend the faith, and he allowed heresy to thrive. Another Pope that did a terrible job of defending the faith was John XXII. This was in the Middle Ages. John XXII actually had held heretical beliefs. He believed that the Blessed Mother and the saints at death did not immediately behold the beatific vision, the vision of God. Instead, it was not going to be until after the last judgment that they would behold the beatific vision. This is a heresy. And John XXII not only believed this heresy, he promoted this heresy. So just forget the idea that popes can't promote heresy in their personal teaching because it's happened before. And the good news is that he was reconciled to the church. He did deny those views before his death. 
But still, he was a terrible pope because of the fact that he basically proclaimed heresy. The third pope, I would say, example I want to give of somebody who didn't defend the faith, and so therefore was not a good pope, was Paul VI, a recent pope, and a pope who was, about, who was just canonized by the Catholic Church. During his reign in the, 19, late, in the 19, late second half of the 1960s and throughout the 1970s, he, more than anybody, allowed heresy to just really flourish in the church and to spring up. Before the time of Vatican II, there were heretics in the church, but there weren't bishops openly declaring heresy, priests openly declaring heresy, Catholics, you know, in high standing, theologians declaring heresy without any repercussions. They'd be punished if that happened in the church, if that happened before that time. But under Paul VI, they reigned free. And really, a lot of the blame that is given to, to Vatican II, I think, really falls on Paul VI more than anything, because he's the one who allowed certain forces, which I talked about in my last episode, these forces of conformity to the world, the conformist, it's under John Paul, I'm sorry, under Paul VI that they first really burst into the scene. If Paul VI had been a strong and good bishop, perhaps the whole history would have been of Vatican II would have been seen differently because it would have been interpreted better. And maybe some of the ambiguity would have been clarified in later documents from the Pope. But that's not what happened. Instead, he allowed so much wrong to happen. And so Paul VI, I don't see how you can say he was a good pope either. So those are some examples of bad popes. Now, let's get to where the rubber meets the road, what everybody probably wants me to discuss more than anything. How about Pope Francis, our current pope? Is he a bad pope? Is he a good pope? Well, let's look at the three criteria I gave. Personal holiness, good management, and defending the faith. On the first account, personal holiness, there's been no accusations and no rumors and no evidence at all that he lives a personally immoral lifestyle. He, there's no evidence that he abuses minors, that he uh, has a concubine or anything like that. In fact, most people would claim that you know, his personal life when it comes to those issues has been uh, moral and exemplary. So in that sense, he is, he is uh, personally moral. However, there have been a lot of discussion. If you read the book, The Dictator Pope, that was released about a year ago, that the way he manages, I'm sorry, not the way he manages, but the way he, he is behind the scenes, the way he deals with people, is really not that exemplary. He'll fire people who get in, get in his way. He will prefer those who ideologically support him regardless of, of their own personal failings. And so, you know, I think you could question whether or not he, uh, you know, his, his personal example in a lot of ways. His public personal example has a lot of good about it. And like I said, there's no, there's no case of him like embezzling funds or anything or having a mistress or anything like that. But I think that's a question mark. We'll just leave that one as a question mark. The second factor, good management. I don't see how you could say that under Pope Francis, there's been good management of the Catholic Church. In his five years, we've seen more division, more problems that have arisen in the church than, than in our, in, since Paul VI at the very least. All those problems aren't his fault. Many of them, like I, I just mentioned, John Paul II, arose under John Paul II. But he hasn't just allowed them to, to happen. He has allowed the people who have been the biggest problems in the church, like a Cardinal McCarrick, to flourish in the church, to be raised up to high levels. A Cardinal Supich in, in Chicago, who has said just some outlandish things and has done a terrible job. He doesn't let his priest even pray in front of abortion clinics. And does things like that, and he's allowed, he's raised up Cardinal Supich up to the level of Cardinal. And there's, there's this idea that when he was first elected, he was going to clean up the Vatican. Everybody acknowledged there's problems in the Vatican. He was going to clean it up. 
There's been no evidence that he's done that. If anything, he's allowed it to get worse. And so I don't see how you could say he is a, has personally managed a church in a good way. And probably the biggest flaw in his pontificate when it comes to managing the church is the people he surrounded himself by. So many of the people who have risen through the ranks under Francis, the, under Francis pontificate, who are part of his inner circle, have been shown to be people who have enabled abusers, have been abusers themselves, have been personally corrupt, yet he allows them to rise in the ranks because of the fact that they agree with his ideology. How's that good management? So I would say on this, on this, uh, th- th- this step, the uh, good management, he, he has not been a good pope at all. Finally, on the third point, has he defended the faith? I don't know how you could give him any grade but an F in this, in this area. You know, on the first one, we'll say in personal holiness, we'll give him a B. On good management, we'll give him maybe a C minus or a D plus. On defending the faith, I don't see how you give him anything but an F. I was one of the signatories of the fraternal correction that was released about a year ago, in which basically, that document did not claim that Pope Francis is a heretic, but what it said is he's allowed heresy to flourish in the church. And I don't see how you can argue with that point. Yes, the way he has said things have been ambiguous and sometimes they're stated in such a way that it's hard to say, to pin him down. Does he personally believe that? Is he personally a heretic? Honestly, I don't care in a sense because that's not the issue. The job of the Pope is to allow the faith to flourish, to defend the faith when it's attacked and not to allow heresy to flourish. Yet under Paul, I'm sorry, under Francis, there's no question that heresy has flourished in the church. We see that the most clear example is the whole debate that was risen under him, he brought up, which was whether or not divorced and remarried Catholics could receive Holy Communion. And the perennial teaching of the church is, of course they cannot, because if you have divorced and remarried, not just divorced, but if you divorced and remarried, you were living in adultery based on the words of Jesus Christ himself. And based on the, on the words of St. Paul in the scriptures, if you receive communion in that state, communion in that state, then you heap judgment upon yourself. And so, of course, the church would never allow people like that to receive communion. They would want them to be reconciled to the church, either by reconciling with their original uh, spouse or getting an annulment, if that's applicable, or living as brother and sister, like a brother and sister, with their current uh, person, their, 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 their current spouse. But what Pope Francis did, he brought the subject up under his pontificate, very early in his pontificate, and he basically has allowed the belief that those who are divorcing Mary can receive communion to flourish in the church. And he's made it clear that he supports that in so many ways. And so I think when it comes to defending the faith, that is the biggest failing of Pope Francis. And it's the most important task of a pope. I think we forget what the pope's main job is. He's to protect the deposit of faith that's been handed on to us. He's to defend it against all attacks, both internal and external. Yet we haven't seen that at all from Pope Francis. So if you ask me, is Pope Francis a bad pope? I would have to say yes, that he is a bad pope. I'm not saying he's the worst pope in history. I'm not saying he's a terrible person. I'm just simply saying, based upon the criteria I've been giving, personal holiness, good management, and defending the faith, he has not succeeded in those three arenas, all three of those arenas, as a good pope would do. So I would say, yes, he is a bad pope. Now, I know this, this episode is probably a big downer, and it sounds like I'm just trying to find problems in the church today, and I'm not really trying to do that. We have a lot of problems in the church today, but I don't think it's healthy to just focus and whine about them. But I think it's important to acknowledge them freely. 
Because what happens is we start to doubt the promises of Christ when we see bad things happening at the highest levels of the church. We think, is Christ no longer protecting the church? Has his promise to Peter to not let the gates of hell prevail against him? Is that failing? I think it's more, I think what's happening really is a misunderstanding of what that promise means. What it means is that the church will always survive. What form that church takes and the size of that church may alter over time. It may become a very small church. It may become a church that only has a few members, is only in a few countries, but it will always survive. It may not always flourish. The Lord never promised that the, that the church would flourish. Even though it's flourished at, in previous times, doesn't mean it's always going to flourish, and it's not flourishing today. We have millions and millions of people leaving the church. So what we need to do as Catholics, we need to fast, we need to pray for the church to flourish again, for popes to be good popes again, for popes to be personally holy, for popes to manage a church well, and for popes to defend the faith with their lives. I think when that happens, we're going to have a church that flourishes again, that grows, that spreads the gospel throughout the world. But we have to acknowledge that right now that's not happening. And so we must pray, we must fast, and we must act when, when needed and when necessary so that we can resist the actions of a bad pope and we can pray and fast that our next pope, or even this pope, will become a good pope and will allow that church to flourish. Okay, well that's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Until next time, keep swimming against the stream.